Hello, everyone. Welcome to the RA Exchange. We're continuing our RA 21-22 celebrations with some exchanges recorded live from Ridgewood Club Nowadays. I'm your host, Kiana Mickles, and today I'm speaking with Byrell the Great, a ballroom icon who is considered a household name in New York's Kiki scene. The Harlem native rose to prominence in the mid-10s as ballroom's once clandestine scene was beginning to take the global stage. And Byrell has since pushed the genre forward, mining from hip hop, pop, R&B, and even meme culture to create <laughs> immersive mixes and cheeky edits. So today we're going to learn a little more about Byrell's history as a musician, his involvement in the kiki scene, as well as Ballroom's recent explosion into the mainstream. So let's get into it. How are you, Byrell? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be seeking you today. So um, let's start in Harlem. I think that's a good place to start because that's where you're from. Mm -hmm. And that's also where Ballroom originated. So can you tell me about what the musical landscape was like um, growing up uptown? Uh, growing up, it was a lot of hip hop, a lot of reggae, so much, so much, so much reggae, in Harlem at least. Um, then when I moved to the Bronx, it was like a lot of just like reggae influence, dimbo, reggaeton, you know, mix of everything, uh, salsa, merengue, every, everything you could think of, every urban kind of music was just surrounding me. Right. And yeah. were you going to parties up there for a while? Yes, I definitely was. I was going to like teenage parties. I wasn't okay, like in like this kind of scene yet, like around mm -hmm. like nowadays and stuff. But <laughs> I was definitely like around like all the like black and Latino kid parties, teenage parties, used to say. Okay, cool. So you actually started experimenting with DJing at a pretty young age when mm -hmm. you were a teenager as well. Yeah. So what did those first mixes sound like? Uh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was better at like mixing on like apps and stuff. Like, um, like, like if you pair tracks up and make mashups and stuff like that. I was like really, really good at that. DJing I wasn't so great at until about like college. Okay, and where was yeah. college? I went to college upstate at OCC and I was like in this transfer program to uh, go to Syracuse University. And then after I got my two years, I was like, yeah, um, I'm gonna just keep doing music in peace. <laughs> Right. So yeah. were you like DJing house parties at college? Is that how you started to get better? Yeah, I actually DJed my house party that I had. Okay. And what was was the name of that? Oh, it was no name. It was just like, you know, like Viral's house party. Yeah, it was like me and my roommates. It was like the two boys I live with. We we threw a party and that was that. And then when I came back, um I had my first actual gig. I DJed my high school's Halloween party. Which is crazy because I love Halloween so much and it's like always my favorite time to DJ and just be out. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, you know, that's what led into the ballroom scene, the Kiki ballroom scene. Right. Um, so were you producing at that time? I was playing around with things. All right. I wouldn't, I mean, it would be producing, but it's not like what it is now. Okay. Can you yeah. tell us about your production, your early production journey, how you started to get into that? I was making like dance mixes for dance groups, mm -hmm. uh, for like the dance groups all around New York City. Um, and when you, then, when you say dance groups, do you mean kiki scene groups or? What no, like actually like dance dance groups that would compete at competitions, okay. like outside of ballroom, okay. but very closely connected with the ballroom scene also mm -hmm. in some weird way. Um, so that led into me experimenting with making like little edits and like mashups, as I said. And yeah, everything just like grew and kept growing from there. Right. Yeah. Um, so you said after college, um, you started mm -hmm. getting more involved in mm -hmm. the ballroom scene. Yes. What was your first ball like? Um, well, my first ball was way before my involvement. So my first ball I actually went to was in 2007 at the Latex Ball. That was when I was in high school still. Oh. Um, Tiana Taylor actually took me to my first ball. What? Yeah. 
Nobody like ever Wait. like pays attention to that fact. Wait, can you? <laughs> we need to hear more. <laughs> okay, yeah. So like uh, when we were young, we were really close. Um, like really, really close. It's so funny. Like she's actually kind of like my introduction to learning about ballroom and voguing and all of that. Like, yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Because, like, the girls from Harlem are really involved with, like, gay culture. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just so synonymous. Like, the whole thing is just, like, you know, it just goes together so well. So um, one day we were standing out in front of, like, the chicken spot, and we saw my friend, uh, Tasaya, and she was like, oh, y'all going to the ball? Da -da -da -da. Talking about the actual latex ball that we wound up going to. Mm -hmm. She's like, y'all going to the ball? Da -da -da. I was like, what's a ball? Like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, she's like, you know the faggots, they be voguing. And <laughs> you know, I have to tell the truth. We have to tell it like it happened. So she's like, you know, they be voguing. And da, da, da. So they both started voguing. And I was like, oh, this is cute. I was like, wait, that looked like, you know, I've been, stuff I've been seeing. Yeah. So uh, fast forward, like, let's say a month, we actually wound up going to the latex ball. And then I went to another one after that, the year after. And then I think Roseland Ballroom got closed the next following year after that. Mm -hmm. So 2008, nine, whatever, I didn't go to, well, eight I did, nine I didn't go to a ball. But then 2010 in January, I went to my first Kiki ball. Okay, yeah. cool. And basically you're hooked. Yeah, and then that. my involvement started like there, like 2010. I was making like uh, productions for people that were, uh, performing at the ball, stuff like that. And again, evolving, evolving, evolving. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because um, I've been really interested to know um, how much of your production today mm -hmm. is made specifically for the Kiki scene mm -hmm. and how much is made for outside of that context just for clubs generally. Um, see, the thing is, I make so much stuff, even though I don't release anything, but I guess it's like a good balance. It's definitely a good balance. Like, definitely, like, if you come to, like, OTA and stuff like that, you hear stuff that you won't ever hear me release, like, and I guess you would say, like, I do those for the Kiki Balls, but now I'm, like, real involved in the main team strip, the main scene also. So I guess I do it for both. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also make a lot of music for me that sounds nothing like stuff that people in the ball scene would like. Okay. Um, what would not work at the ball? Um, nothing up that I've put out yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, I get like real experimental. I mean, okay. I'm, make, I'm making some other stuff too that they will also love, but it wouldn't be played like on the floor. Like people wouldn't be battling to it. It would probably be like played before the balls. I see. Yeah. Is has there ever been a moment where like I guess I'm wondering like um because ballroom is such, you know, a sonic ecosystem. You mm -hmm. have you the DJ, you have um the the dancers, the battlers, um, and you have the MC. Is mm. there ever a moment where maybe you're doing something maybe a bit too experimental and they're like cut the music? Um now I feel like I'm so respected that they don't tell me to cut the music <laughs> no more. But there have been times when I've been doing stuff recently and I'm like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is not working. I hated it. They kept going and they like, uh. And I'm like, no. You know what I mean? But before it was a lot of, you know, DJ, uh, change the beat, cut the beat. I have not got a, a change the beat in like probably almost three years now. Oh, man. Yeah, and that's, like, a big thing with DJs. Like, we really? hate that in the ballroom scene. Like, it's, like, if they tell you change the beat, it, like, it's, like, one of those insecure moments. You're, like, come on. Like, and sometimes you know the beat is fire, so if they tell you to change the beat, it's probably not even you, it's them. So, that's that. <laughs> so, dancers, step it up. Yeah, uh. dancers, step it up. <laughs> MC, step it up. Somebody step it up. Someone step it up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the Kiki scene because that is a sub-scene mm -hmm. within the wider ballroom scene. Mm -hmm. um, and it is not specific to New York also. No. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, that split? Um, from the ballroom scene, just the Kiki okay. scene. So yeah, the Kiki scene split from the main scene when it was like they needed something 
first it like actually started as like just a key with like the older people and they just wanted to create separate houses for them. And then it actually went to like the youth and like having some place where youth could do this. Because you know, at like certain point in New York's history, um, young people could get into the clubs easily. And then at a certain point they couldn't get into the clubs easily. So the, the ballroom scene is always a reflection of that. Like what's happening with the venues in New York space. Mm. Ballroom scene is always a like direct reflection of that. Like, um, so the Kiki scene is the perfect reflection of that because that's like kind of what created that split. Um, so it became a thing of the younger generation. And once it was the younger generation, it, you know, it just stayed there and branched out from New York to all the states, different countries, like the Kiki different, scene is huge. Different countries, um, what countries? Uh, a lot, Paris, um, London, like it's like honestly too many to name. I think it's honestly in most European countries where ballroom is, if not all. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to um, talk about this moment we're in in ballroom because we're post Juan Allure, mm -hmm. um, who you um, actually had um, a friendship with. Yes. Um, and Juan Allure was the first ballroom producer to make tracks specifically for the balls, yeah. um, and that completely revolutionized the genre. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you've seen the genre progress since his contributions? Uh, when I first was introduced to ballroom music, it was like way more simpler. It's like, it's like, so? Uh, like, so I feel like, like the hot dance is like a very, well, the pump and dub version of it is a very simple track. Like it's like the crash, the beat, a little, you know, breakdowns here and there, but it's just real simple. Um, so a lot of that was just like samples of that with things thrown on top of it. Now it's like people make their own beats, add that on top of it. And I've saw it grow from there. Um, so now it's like a lot of people have original music just sampling the ha. Whereas before it would just be like a lot of remixes of the ha. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So that's definitely like the evolution of it to now. Okay. Yeah. And there are also um, different categories which mm -hmm. inform different arrangements in ballroom mm -hmm. music. Um, a Vogue Femme track, for example, will not sound the same as a runway track. Mm -hmm. um, for those of us that have not been to a ball, can you explain some of those stylistic differences, what that could sound like? So runway tracks can sound anything like techno, like slower techno, mm -hmm. um, to like just like I guess things that they would call EDM, uh, mm -hmm. whatever that is. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it just sounds like that, where it's like the Vogue beats sound like house beats more with like that crash thrown on top of it. Right. Yeah. Or now it's like kind of, well, in present day, it's like kind of merged to be in all of that. Also EDM sound mixed with, it's very experimental now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, what happened in like maybe around the past decade um, is that hip hop um, mm -hmm. got a lot more involved. Like, mm -hmm. just, um, I agree. Yeah, like yeah, totally I'm like agree. always hearing Nicki Minaj somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also, um, I feel like, are very influenced by hip hop and pop. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what are you listening to right now? Um, how's that influencing your work? Um, I'm listening to a lot of hip hop right now. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think any of what I'm listening to is influencing my work. Cause when I listen to my work, it sounds nothing like that. Cause like, I do like making things that sound like, either sound like me or like I'm creating a new version of me. Like no one can ever say it sounds like somebody else. I don't want that. Right. You know what I mean? Things that are influencing me though is like a lot of like Afrobeat stuff, like the drums. Mm. I'm getting real, real into drums. Like I've always been into it, listening to it, but now I'm like kind of want to do my own drum kind of tracks. Okay. So yeah, Afrobeats are definitely influencing me. I've been making a lot of runway beats because of it. Right. right. Um, a right. lot of my voguing beats right now sound like Afrobeats, but with that thrown on top of it. So probably won't release those, but that's where I'm experimenting right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think that if you put any of those tracks out, 
in in the scene you get a DJ cut the beat? Um, no, because I've tested some of them uh, at OTA <laughs> and like the bowls that I've just did in North Carolina and they was loving them. Okay, okay. Yeah, so but I know the ones that are deeper that go a little deeper. <laughs> I can't play those. So. But you'll hit them if you come out and hear, and hear me DJ. Okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So I know there's OTA in New mm -hmm. York. Are you involved in that? Um, trying to get a sense of where you're playing um, in the scene right Oh, now. just like in general? In general. Well, I'm always like DJing balls. Like, I don't know which one I get booked for more balls or parties, but I'm mm -hmm. always doing both so much. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I have OTA every Monday. Right. Uh, I am the resident DJ of that since the starting of it. Right. December 1st, there's a ball at LeBane, the World AIDS Day ball at LeBane. I will be doing oh. that. Then there's like a ball the day after, which is the Red Ball, which is the Kiki Scenes World AIDS Day ball. Mm -hmm. And then the third, I'm going to do a Kiki ball in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, cool. so I'm always DJing the so, ball. So Toronto has, has a scene there. Yeah, Montreal, everywhere has a scene. Okay, anywhere cool. there's ballroom. Anywhere there are gay people, there's a Kiki scene, I should say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've been a DJ at a lot of these balls for yes. years. Um, mm -hmm. Have you been involved in any other ways? Um, are there, so let's, let's hear about that. <laughs> um, so I'm in the house of Juicy Couture, that's my Kiki scene. I'm not in a mainstream house. But um, when it comes to the Kiki scene, I've like given people effects. Like I help them get ready. Like, effects are costumes. Mm -hmm. um, I'll do their music. You know, like really give them a whole like production. Come help them come up with it. Help them do choreography for it. Help them pick the fashions. Like I'm really, really involved. I'm like, you know, I have family in the scene. So okay, yeah, okay. it's a family moment. Amazing. Yeah. So not just the DJ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there have been, you know, a couple of ballroom producers that kind of came up with you mm -hmm. at the same time that aren't really involved in the scene um, anymore or mm -hmm. maybe never were. Um, I'm curious to know what keeps you um, involved after all these years, what keeps you going? Well, as I mentioned, I have, like, I've grown, like, family bonds with the people that I know in the scene. Right. Um, and... Also, when I said I'm not just a DJ, it's like, that's also how the people see me, too. Like, the people in the ballroom scene definitely, like, we have relationships that go deeper than, oh, he's just a DJ. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, a lot of other DJs don't get the chance to have that. I'm very lucky that I do. Um, so that's one thing that definitely keeps me going. But then again, my drive also. I was, like, never here for not anything but me at first. You know what I mean? And my, like, my love and passion for it. Mm -hmm. So if I had a love and passion for it, why would I just like walk away from that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know. Cool. Um, so I do want to move back in time mm -hmm. a little. So you were featured on Queendom, mm -hmm. um, which was a 2016 compilation that mm -hmm. was very important because it showcased this modern sound yes. of ballroom to an audience that probably didn't go to balls. Mm -hmm. um, if you can remember, what was that initial response to that record like? Uh, it was really good response, I think, okay. because it was like definitely the first ballroom label album that I've heard. The sounds were new. Uh, it was a really fun time. It was a fun time. <laughs> That's what I could say. Cool. Were you surprised by that response? I don't think I'm ever we're like surprised by any response. Like only. Um, yeah, I'm never even, like, surprised at a bad response, so I'm not, mm. like, a good response is like, okay, like, cool. You know, I'm not, I don't know, I've just been, when you've been doing something for so long, you've been put out so much work and, like, mm -hmm. put out so much of yourself, like, you're never really surprised at responses mm. after a while. You also start to not care either, so. Right. Even though I was, like, young in my production states at that time, I still was kind of, like, had put out so much stuff by that time. Right. Um, how yeah. old were you at the time? I was 26 when that came out. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm 32 now. Okay. Not ashamed. She's no. cute. <laughs> <laughs> Aging like fine wine. Okay. <laughs> so something I noticed about that record um, and the label was on generally is that geographically it has such an expansive sound. Mm -hmm. You had artists from Philly, 
working mm -hmm. with artists in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we've discussed that now um, ballroom is very international, but I'm wondering if at the time that kind of cross-city, you know, collaboration mm -hmm. was common. No, not at all. Um, I think that created definitely like people working together more. People were definitely doing it already, but it wasn't like how it is now. Um, definitely Bubble Jerk, my track was one of those tracks that inspired like that explosion mm -hmm. because like uh, that was the biggest track on the project and it like had so many good people on it. Um, so after that, you see a track like from DJ Delish with like multiple commentators and stuff like that. And you just see like a bunch of that now happening. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, definitely that inspires some things, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you typically work with an MC, and I'm curious to know what that process is like because you're not working with an MC mm -hmm. in a ballroom context. So what's that collaboration like? Um, so most of the time, I think honestly, every time that I work with an MC from the ballroom scene, I get them to record to a beat that I'm not gonna use. Like, Funny Money, you heard my track, Funny Money. Mm -hmm. um, that was recorded to LSD's Burn the Witch. <laughs> that's, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, history. Um, yeah, we recorded that to Burn the Witch because um, I already had this sound in my head of what I wanted to do. I wanted to do, like, a track, a scatting track. Um, I was like, yeah, I've never heard nobody scat over a club beat. Like, that would be hot. And then when LSD dropped his project... I was like, oh my God, like this would be the perfect song for somebody to scat over. So I got FanFam to do it and then I got um, Precious to record over it and it was just like, I made a new beat on top of their vocals. Okay, cool. Yeah, but that's like how I make stuff all the time. Okay. Yeah, I, I prefer to do it that way. I don't know why. Is that common or is that... Yeah, like... You, okay. Um, yeah, it's very common. Like, uh, so definitely, okay, so Bubble Drip. The only thing on Bubble Drip that was recorded to that beat was like the bridge mm. of it. Everything else was recorded to a whole other beats. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there a track that exists um, with Burn the Witch and Precious's? There is. I've never let anyone mm. hear it. I could let I, you hear it one day. I would love to hear it. I would anyway. definitely let you hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> Yeah, I want to move into your production a little bit more. So let's talk about Chopped Cheese, which was, I think, your breakthrough EP. And this is certainly a club record, but you've also described it as a project that tells a story. So can you talk about um, what was going through your head? What was your approach to narrative building on um, I just wanted each track to speak to a certain type of narrative. Like, I needed inspiration for each track. Um, so, like, Wild for the Night, I, like, made that after, like, going off at, on a promoter. I wanted to beat them up. <laughs> like, Why, what happened? <laughs> uh, you know, like, promoters be janky. People don't be paying or trying not to pay. And I'm, like, really not that person to not play those. You know? Like, yes. yeah. So, um, that's that. And then... Like, uh, feeling, uh, the song Lord, uh, that's actually a funny story behind that song because me and Juan the Lord got into a, uh, like a disagreement, argument, so to say, over that track. Why? Um, what, what happened? Because when RuPaul came up with that Butch Queen project, Ru uh, Juan the Lord did like the whole production on the whole album. Mm -hmm. And when the remix project came out, it was like just like a bunch of like white producers on it. And I felt like, why is there a ballroom remix project out there with white producers? No ballroom producers, you know? And I felt like I definitely still to this day feel like I was very right about my statement. Mm -hmm. um, so we got into it and then um, I made the remix. I was like, yeah, we need like a reclaiming. And that was that. And oh. uh, yeah. Okay, very yeah. interesting. And you also um, discussed that there's kind of like um, political meaning behind some of those tracks. Um, like LAW, you said um, that the transition between LAW mm -hmm. and um, 
CC shot. Uh huh. Um, it was like a, a boy a boy going from being a boy to a, going yes. being a girl. Can you, can you so, de- however I said it. Can you can you describe um, what was going on uh, politically and your process of making that? Um, I don't think that it was necessarily was it a political moment at that time. I forget. Well, I think it's pretty inherently. I think it was like more so with like uh, friends. Like I was like more inspired by a friend's story. Aww. Yeah. That's, that's um, beautiful. That's yeah, 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 yeah. So I like made three seats. I made law first, and when they heard it, they was like, you know, uh, it was before their transition. And then after the transition, like I made the next one, but it was inspired by their transition. Like, and it sounded so different at the beginning. And, and yeah. So I guess that was the politics behind that. Okay. Do they do they know? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. 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 I made um, I made another project, the Book of Vanity, about them. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us how? Um, what's the story behind that? <laughs> so the Book of Vanity is about my friend Vanity, who's actually like an icon, Hall of Famer in the Kiki scene, mm. and she's also like really big in the uh, main ballroom scene, also. Um, a lot of people love them in their Vogue, and it was a runway walker, a Vogue, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, it was this house that used to like say this thing like praise vanity. So right. yeah, yeah. So I made the book of vanity, made, like a bible. That's beautiful. Yeah, you include a lot of references um, to black culture throughout your work. Um, I'm thinking of Mabel's interlude and chopped cheese, <laughs> which samples a Tyler Perry play. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the use of samples um, taken from black meme culture, mm-hmm. like um, the famous I Don't Understand clip from mm-hmm. Bad Girls Club. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me uh, what your proce- your sampling process is like? Like, how does an idea but ultimately become something that's sampled in that track? Um, so I'll hear something. I'll see a video, like, I'll be smoking weed. I'll be very honest. I'll be in my house smoking weed, and I'll be watching videos. And, like, when something gets stuck in my head, I watch it a lot. Like, uh-huh. I'll wake up and want to watch a video. Like, I'll be in the shower thinking of the video and just start laughing. <laughs> um, and then, like, sometimes I'll just, like, literally sit down and, like, make the sample and just include it, and it'll go so perfect just because I was already in my head nice. about it. So I'm actually doing the same thing right now with the, um, you know, Monique, when she's like eating and she eat the food and it's so good that she's like, give it a little bit. Yeah. So I'm like in a process of making that a track right now. So okay. we will see. Would also yeah, it's gonna be good. like a copy of that. Yeah. I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so as a DJ, you have a knack. Um, for storytelling, similar to your production. Mm-hmm. Um, Viral's Vogue workouts, if anyone in the audience or listening hasn't heard, are incredible. <laughs> Viral, how did this mix series come into fruition? Okay, so um, the day before Hurricane Sandy, I was in Queens, um, and it was a bunch of us from the Kiki scene, like, you know, was having a smack fest. Um, not knowing that the hurricane was, or we knew the hurricane was coming, but we didn't know it was going to be serious, like really be serious for New York. Right. Um, and some sort of way, one of my friends like is going off of me. I'm like a young DJ in, in the ballroom scene. I think I just like, that year was my first year of DJing the ball. But like, oh, wow. yeah, it's like months later. Like this is October, I DJ my first ball in July. Mm-hmm. So one of my friends is like, yeah, you need some stuff that's like, that's going to be real hot. Like we need to hear you like, we're, like, we need to feel you. You don't have no hits. Like, da 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 I was like, what? Like, oh. Not no hits, but she's, like, saying, like, you don't have nothing that people know you for yet. Mm. And then I was like, okay, I got you. And then, like, there was this warning that came on the news. Like, yeah, I had to get home. So, again, I was in Queens. Mind you, by the time I got home, like, everything over there was on fire. Mm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, so that's how that started. <laughs> right. Um, well, can you talk about your strategy of assembling a mix like this because these mixes sound so seamless. Like even me as someone who's both a DJ and a critic, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to tell sometimes when you're working with a track that has just like multiple edits or if you're just transitioning between multiple tracks um, very quickly. Those, none of those mixes are actually done like live. 
Those are not live mixes. I've made that clear many times. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had to because somebody <laughs> like I guess somebody must have thought that they were and was like, "Oh, you're like you're cheating. Like mm. this does not sound like a live mix." And I'm like, "No, it's definitely not." Again, mm. I told you that I make mixes and productions for dance groups and stuff like that. So it's literally that kind of mix, but in vogue form. I see. Yeah. I see, I see, I see. Yeah. So, so you're working in like Ableton? Um, I'm actually working in like this old ass program. It's like from like 2005. It's called Cool Edit Pro. It's like the original Adobe something, whatever that is. But I'm, I literally still hold on to the program just so I could do mixes like that. Outside of DJing for balls, like we discussed, you also DJ frequently in clubs. Mm -hmm. um, the last time I saw you play was actually around 3 a.m. in Berlin um, at Einhundert. You were there? Yeah. What? That was so good. It was. It was, it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and there was actually some, I think, um, some pretty, pretty cool voguing taking place um, in a dance circle that opened mm -hmm. up. Um, but I'm sure that's not something that happens every time you play. What happens often? It does. Yeah, and that was actually, speaking of like the ballroom kiki scene expanding, that was actually the House of Juicy, Germany. Well, it was actually a few houses there that day. Okay. Um, and that's, that's your That's, that's your my house. kiki house, okay. yeah. So they came to see me in, in Berlin. Like some of them came from so far, I was like, oh my God. Like some of them took trains from other countries and everything, like. Yeah, but Very it was good. Loved. Yeah, and I love them too. <laughs> yeah, well, when that doesn't happen and you don't have, you know, your crew, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you feel like a disconnect between what you're playing and the audience. Well, sometimes if, like sometimes, of course, people, we all get booked for things that's like out of what people are hearing. Like a lot of times, well, I know for me, a lot of times when I go DJ, it's like, all the DJs were playing techno. I'm not playing only techno. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not even gonna play only ballroom. Right, right, right. You know, I'm gonna jump around, I'm gonna do what I want. And you know, like, sometimes people only wanna hear that. So yeah, in those spaces, I definitely feel a disconnect if I don't have like at least one person with me that I know. Right. Um, sometimes uh, you could just like make people so hooked on it, sometimes it won't even matter. Like, they thought they wanted to hear techno, but now I'm DJing, and it's like, oh, shit, wait. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess, how do you overcome that when you feel that disconnect? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Maybe, a, I probably shouldn't say that, but maybe, like, a shot or something, just take the anxiety away. Oh, you know, a little smoke real quick. Uh, okay. You know, maybe just, like, because it's essentially anxiety. I see, I see, I see. Well, is the ultimate goal, I guess, to, you know, find that connection or, like, find a way to... Yeah, to know, make them... Get that middle yeah. Yeah. You've spoken previously about being the first DJ in the Kiki scene to be offered bigger opportunities and, you know, kind of be recognized yeah. outside of the scene. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think that is... Well, so the thing is, there weren't really many, like, DJs that were actually made in the Kiki scene. Like, I was probably the first. Mm. Yeah, so with that, um, I think that's one of the reasons why, but that's, like, probably a small reason why. Also, like, the work that I put out was really good, and every time people heard my work, they thought it was, like, along the lines of, the older ballroom DJs, right. you know what I mean? So they always kind of paired me with them and never with like the people that came out, you know, with me. Right. Yeah. Um, since, you know, you've um, come up, are there any other DJs um, in the Kiki scene that are kind of, you know, reaching that kind of level of visibility? Um, yeah, like music wise, definitely DJ Delish. Love DJ Delish. Oh my God, just dropped this new project and I'm so hyped on it. Like, you'll probably hear it in every single one of my sets coming. Uh -huh. um, definitely DJ Spider. Mm. Um, but they also, like, you know, I wouldn't say producers, when they're producers, it's not really for a certain scene. You're just doing it for everybody who does this, right. you know, who, who does ballroom. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, from my understanding, DJ Delish is from 
Philly. Um, that's where they like base. They're based in Yeah, they're Philly. definitely of the Philly scene. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship um, between the New York and Philly scene, if there there is one? Um, yeah, there's definitely a scene. So for the Kiki scene, at one point, it was a huge beef. Me and DJ Delicious actually didn't like each other. We had like this like rivalry, and it created like something between the people with Philly and New York's Kiki scene. So then they had a ball where it was like New York versus Philly. Um, and that was how I became the first one to win DJ versus DJ. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be like me, Delish, then like all of them, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's like Philly, New York scene is like really, I guess cool now. Like a lot of times when there's a ball in Philly, people go to New York. I mean, people go to Philly, the New York people go to Philly. Uh And when there's balls here, the Philly people come to New York and they come here and party all the time. We go there and party, you know, go get Philly cheesesteaks, just key. You know what I mean? So it's a real sisterly kind of bond. But it was formerly a rival. It was definitely formerly a rival (laughs) with everybody, like not only me, but I think that we made it worse. Yeah, because that was like the rising of the Kiki scene and like the two big DJs of the Kiki scene did not really Mm. necessarily get along with each other. But now we like the best of friends. Like like literally probably was just texting. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, Is is that common for there to be rivalries? Definitely. It's competition. Everything, Mm. you know what I mean? It's ballroom is a competitive place. If you have something like DJ versus DJ and DJ of the year and things like that, it gets competitive. So of course, there's always going to be shade where there's competition. Right, right, right. Um, well, I'm glad that you guys are the best of friends. I now. am too. Um, we got some both. music coming too. Oh, I'm excited. You were involved in soundtracking the 2016 film Kiki, mm-hmm. um, which documented New York's Kiki scene. And from my understanding, that was positively received um, and uh, seemed also kind of like redemptive um, mm-hmm. after, you know, like, you know, a couple of decades after Paris is Burning came out, mm-hmm. um, which had mixed reviews. Um, can you tell us about your involvement in that project? Um, my involvement was just like, I was being documented a lot. A lot of stuff that I actually did didn't make it to the documentary. Mm. Um, like there was like supposed to be like separate stories on like the DJs and just never like made it in the cut. Um, but then, like, I did, like, a lot of the sit-downs with, like, you know, how is this going to work, flow into this, and stuff like that. Um, I think, for me, though, the same reviews that I've heard about Paris is Burning, I feel the same way about Kiki. Tell us, tell us more. Um, yeah, it's just, like, you know, it's, like, these films that are souped up to seem like they're so much for the community, but then after they come and do their thing, it's, like, then what? Were you, were folks compensated? No. Um, okay. And who, who I was who compensated for my music that was used in it. That was it. Oh, right. Um, who, but I only had one track. Uh, who s- made the film? Sarah something, I forgot her last name. Um, and Twiggy, who's actually from the ballroom scene. So it was one person from the scene and like one person who wasn't. So... Kind of was the same thing as Paris is Burning a little bit. Okay, interesting. Because yeah. um, my understanding of it was that it was positively received, but that is not. No, I think the that case if you talk to like Gia, who's like the star of it and right, stuff like that, like right. she, she would probably go deeper than what I went um, mm. because she was more so like talent on it, where I was just like, I wasn't necessarily like on it as cast. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't being interviewed on that level. You know right. what I mean? So. A lot yeah. of people was just like, yeah, it came and went. Like, literally literally the same exact things I've heard about Paris is Burning. I feel those ways about that. Yeah, um, it's unfortunate. It's that hard to some, get things right sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, and I do remember, um, yeah, those scenes um, centering Gia mm-hmm. um, were very intimate. Um, yeah. They basically documented um, her entire transition. Right. Um, and... Yeah, I guess, was there concern about um, the way the scene was depicted? I'm I'm trying to get a sense of, like, what specifically... I think it was that people felt used. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but not for their benefit. And, yeah, you know, when people feel used and it's not for their benefit, that's when it's like, 
what's going on? You what, know? What would you have liked um, to come out of a film like that? Um, co- definitely compensation. Um, equity. Equity as in? Equity as in like, this should create. This should have created something. Those people should have created something for those people to always be working and then like building their stories for them. And it was like those people ran off and did what they did and kept running with it and left them behind. Mm. Like we mentioned, um, there is you know this kind of. Uh, aspect of social responsibility Mm -hmm. and communal responsibility in ballroom Mm -hmm. um like um a big issue is aids and Mm -hmm. you know like you know getting young kids tested Mm -hmm. um so yeah you would think (laughs) that there would be some kind of funding there yeah exactly like something that would just go towards something right um and it's really not none of that right this actually offers a really great transition into my next question because we have to talk about Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen you DJ several times Mm -hmm. at this point and one thing I noticed is that you actually play a lot of Beyonce edits Mm -hmm. in your sets even before um, her recent album Mm -hmm. came out. Always. Yeah. Um, And I know there was some discourse in the queer community about her album Renaissance, which mm-hmm. samples and references ballroom heavily. And mm-hmm. this has raised a debate in the queer community, um, some instigated by me, <laughs> about whether or not Same. that album should be considered cultural appropriation. Same. So, I feel the same way, even though I think it's very good, but we can continue. <laughs> um, so putting you in the hot seat for a bit, I'm interested in hearing your take on that record? Um, Okay, so from the beginning, I think Beyonce's project is amazing. I think that is very well put together. Um, I think that she did it well-ish when it comes to like the sampling of the ballroom stuff. Well-ish as in? Because like, okay, so like the Pure Honey track, like I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, boom, this is cute. Like, and then the part where it just comes like, get your money, money, hunty, hunty. I'm like, that's not ballroom. That's like so. That's the part uh, that got me too. <laughs> yeah, that's so oh cringe. Like it's it's that part for me is like so cringe. So I think like certain things in it is very cringe, and it's like it feels whack. You know what I mean? Love Beyonce down, and even if she would have sampled somebody else's track, like even mine, I would have probably felt the same. I would have definitely felt the same. I probably would have felt even more like no. You know what I mean? Where now I'm just like, oh okay, well. It ain't mine, so I kind of don't care, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just wish that that part wasn't like that. Um, I do wish that the people from the ballroom scene had more involvement mm-hmm. with it, because nobody, none of them knew. Um, a lot of people just woke up to hearing their stuff on the radio. Um, yeah, Kevin Aviance actually tells the story of like him um, going to sleep and like people was hitting him up. And then when he woke up, like, it was all over Instagram. He didn't know. Um, Has but he spoken up about it? Um, well, or? he spoke about it, but it was, it was like a thing that wasn't a problem to him. But I for see. me, that would have been a problem. Definitely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. where's the respect? Uh, yeah. But also, Kevin probably doesn't own the music. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's what happened. It's like mm-hmm. they went directly through the labels. Where it's like, I feel like with Beyonce and, like, who she is as an artist... Um, how would you have felt if that was done to you? But I mean, I'm guessing it can't happen because it's you. But what if you were a smaller artist? Would you yeah. want somebody as big as you to involve you in that moment? You know right. what I mean? And uh, like people could say that they felt involved in the moment, but when you look at it, they are not involved in that moment. Right. You know and what I mean? It's not the first time she's done this. Oh, no, it's definitely not the yeah. first time. It's just the first time that I probably paid attention to it because it's so close. Right. Yeah, it's right, like really, right. really close. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about, um, well, I just feel like the producers, she are like all incredible, mm-hmm. very talented producers, but something about it just felt so obvious to me. Mm-hmm. I, wish, I felt like that too. I wish she would have, you know, it's like cookie dug cutter. deeper. It's like cookie cutter a little bit. 
Yeah, or just like dug a little deeper into the underground. Yeah. I would have liked to seen DJ Delish. Yeah, I would have loved to seen that. Uh, I don't really care for all of that. I mean, if things happen, it happen, but I'm not really like a... Yeah, yeah, but basically, uh, but yeah. you know... Um, you also, know. I knew like when I first... I've had like these visions for years of hearing Beyonce do like a take on what ballroom is to her and... I never heard myself included in that. Like, every time I've had the idea, it was always Wanna Law in my head. Like, I've always heard Wanna Law sound like, actually, the way that she did it is so different from what I thought it would be. Mm. Um, what did you think it would be? I don't know. I can't explain what it, like, what, what, I, what I hear in my head. I would have to probably make it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still think it was a good project. Really, really good project. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was yeah. fun. And it was, the production on it was amazing. I think that's what I love so much. The production was great, um, but yeah, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the transitions were definitely incredible as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think the issue with an artist like Beyonce is that she's not really at a point where she is trying to be a challenging artist. Definitely she's, not. You know, she's making her bag. Yeah. Um, you know, she's comfortable. Having fun. And she has a formula, and she works with that formula. Mm -hmm. it works for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Ooh. yeah, definitely would have liked to see um, if you're adopting from a scene that um, is, I think, by nature, so experimental. Mm -hmm. um, you think that she would try yeah, would have a little went bit deeper. Harder. I thought yeah. so too. Yeah, I thought it's so funny that you said like DJ Delish because I would have loved to hear DJ Delish like do that because like I think that it would have definitely made it like something deeper and not so like obvious. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so I actually had a couple of conversations with people after that record came out, um, and. A few people brought up that, well, black divas have always been at the center of ballroom musically, you know, True. historically, um, you know, it was all about you know, the disco divas, the Donna Summers. It's very true. Um, so I think some people felt like, well, you know, who better than Beyonce to I know, felt be like that also in this? Um, and... It's so funny that you mentioned that Tiana Taylor brought you to your first ball <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because when I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about you know how Tiana Taylor mm -hmm. um, reworked um, worked this pussy, mm -hmm. um, and uh, Megna Stallion recently incorporated Vogue in mm -hmm. the music video for mm -hmm. um, her. So th is this something that you agree with um, that? Black women are maybe more culturally entitled to being involved in ballroom, um, as opposed to you know a white artist like Madonna, who has been crit criticized heavily for exploiting black culture. Yeah, well, definitely, because I feel like black women and black gay men have that like, like I said when I was talking about Tiana, it's something about the the relationship. It just. I don't know. It's like one of those things. Like it just goes together so well. Mm -hmm. um, but you also have to get deeper. Like Megan Thee Stallion did that for Cloud, whereas like Tiana Taylor didn't. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when people say Tiana don't know what she's doing with Borum and all of that, I always be in my head like y'all don't even know that she introduced me to this, and I like y'all love me so much. Right. So what does that mean for how y'all see me? Mm. You know what I mean? But she's really in depth into it. Like Tiana knew about it way before. All of us in the hood did. Like she was hanging out with the with the older gay men, and they taught her about it. Like she, they took her to her first ball, and she took me to my first ball. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So those relationships just go together so well. But it's also about happening when somebody's really into it. You know what I mean? And Beyonce, I could, that's why I'm so fifty fifty with the argument. It's like she did it cringely on certain things, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. But Beyonce been working with gays and. Um, Having that also relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe it's less of an issue that she was inspired by ballroom. Yeah. Um, but like more of an issue that she didn't do it well. Because the team, I guess, I'm guessing however it was built, I don't know. Um, 
Because, you know, she didn't have a lot of people work on it. And I'm pretty sure she didn't, like, write that. Oh, no, you know yeah. I mean? she, yeah. She has a huge stand. Yeah. So, I don't know. You know, like, Tion Till, I'm pretty sure, wrote her whole work this pussy or something. Mm. Like, almost of it, at least. Like, so, I don't know. It's hard to say. That topic is tricky, but it's not. Because, like, Megan Thee Stallion, no. Like, she only did that because she was working with Legendary. Right, which right, also was right. another thing that was, like, no. Like, Tiana should have definitely been doing that instead of mm. Megan Thee Stallion. Is she still involved in the boss? Do you know? Who? Tiana Taylor. Well, she was never really, like, involved so closely. She was, like, a person, like, a, um, she watched. Right. Yeah. She was never, like, really, really involved. I don't even think Tiana actually, maybe she did. I think she got her tens one time at a ball. Okay. Um, but outside of that, I don't think, like, she was ever really involved. Involved, she was just, you know. A spectator. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, my last very basic question for you. Um, I'm interested in hearing if you have any upcoming projects coming up. That I do. I've been working about. on like some music. Like remember, I told you I was being experimental. Um, I think I want to just like throw out some music. Like just get it out. Like I feel kind of stopped up. <laughs> so I just want to let things flow a little bit into my next project. Because I'm definitely putting on a project next year. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, I want to do like a little interlude, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Maybe like a mixtape? Yeah, like a mixtape, but like probably like the ones that are not samples will go on iTunes. Okay. So it'll be like a mixtape and an EPM one. Word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds cool. I guess we can close out. Thank you so much, Viral. It was an absolute pleasure. Me. Thank you for listening to the RA Exchange. You can browse our full archive on your favourite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe to The Exchange to receive updates from us. And if you love the show, please do leave us a rating and a review as it helps get our stories to more ears. Until next time, take care.